Have you heard of the Torah coming out of Berlin? There's always something bubbling beneath the surface here. A Torah bursting to get out, a new way of seeing the world in Yiddishkeit and our collective future. And sometimes this Torah comes out in commentaries on the Talmud and other times in community building. But for this season, we want to explore how this Torah comes out through art. What is the Torah of creation, of taking an idea in your soul and putting it on canvas or into an album or performance? What are the words deep inside of you that you must put onto the page? And what are the stories, the experiences that drive you to create it? What is a Jewish artist? What is Jewish art? What is the art of the Torah that is the fabric of our lives? So come and learn. Welcome to Torah Curious. Hello, and welcome to Torah Curious. I'm your host, Jeremy Borowitz, and I am here with the second member of our Laba cohorts, Paula Pilnik. Paula, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Uh, I wonder if we could start by having you tell us about your earliest Jewish memory. Yes. Um, I thought quite long and hard about this question because, well, first of all, I have to say I have a really poor memory. Um, but I think my earliest Jewish memory is of my mom. Well, my mom used to sing me to bed, um, yeah, sing me to sleep when I was a kid. Wow. And we used to have like a kind of ritual. So she would always either read me a story or tell me a story. And then she would sing, no, then we would pray and then she would sing certain songs. And I think uh, what's interesting about this, so the piece of it that I think relates to the question is that uh, we, she used to sing slash pray uh, Shema Israel. Wow. And my mom, is, my mom converted into Judaism wow. uh, when, before she got married. And so her parents are not Jewish. And I'm from Brazil. I don't know if you know, but I'm from Brazil. And of course, we're not in a Jewish majority country. Um, but Brazil at that time was a Catholic majority country. At this time, it's an evangelical majority country. But um, there are also a lot of religions. Uh, a lot of them um, influence one another. And I'm saying all this because I remember us praying in like different things, uh, never to Jesus or anything, but like in a non-specific God and also in Portuguese and also in, in Hebrew and also, uh, you know, all of these, uh, like to a guardian angel. And there are all these mixes of beliefs somehow. Yeah. And then also songs, some songs were Jewish songs, some songs were like kids lullabies and, um, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really fond of this memory, and I think it really defines my spiritual journey, also because it's like growing up in this mix of cultures and faiths. Yeah, it's very powerful. <laughs> I'll also say, like, as um, it, I say the Shema with my children every night, mm. and so that's a very powerful thing. I wonder why do you think your mother decided to do this with you? I think she, I think she. Well, I will say that my mom 
since she converted, she was really dedicated to Judaism. I think she's like the most Jewish person in my family. <laughs> yeah, she does like Shabbat every week and everything. But um, I think, um, I don't know, a way of of um, hoping for something or of putting out some um, hopeful energy. And yeah, I think that she really believes in that and she really wanted to pass that along to us. Wow. Amazing. Okay, so you're growing. Where in Brazil are you growing up? I'm from São Paulo. From São Paulo. Okay, so you're, yeah. Um, so you're there. You are. Your mom saying Shema to you every night. Did you go to Jewish school? Did you go to synagogue? Like, what was your Jewish involvement like as a child in yeah. Brazil? I didn't go to a Jewish school. I actually went to later on a school called Our Lady of Grace. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> but it was not a Catholic school or anything like that. It just, actually, the story is really funny. I think it used to be like an all-girls, like, nun school uh-huh. for one week, and then the girls rebelled, and then it was like the nuns left. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like kind of a hippie school for a long time. Uh, no, I, um, I, I, my family uh, goes to a pretty progressive synagogue very secular, um, and I started taking, like, these after-school classes, like, religion classes at the synagogue, I think when I was about, well, it was less than 10 for sure, so maybe, like, 8 through 10, and then I got into the bat mitzvah program, um, and it was, I will say it was really cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. You never hear that. I know, I know. It's because... The teachers, they gave us room to question things. Wow. And I recently, so my mom moved and I was in Brazil recently. Well, not so recently, but like in February. And she found like the folder of all the the things that I did, like all the sheets of work that I did there. And I was reading some of them and it was like, there was a questionnaire that was like, do you believe in God? And then you could like mark like yes or no. Like, do you think God is... Uh, like one thing or what I don't remember the questions but like they gave us the sheet that we could answer what we thought of that's amazing wow and then we could talk about it yeah wow <laughs> so it sounds like you had like a pretty positive sense of Jewish identity growing yeah. up yeah um, yeah really um, and also um, the synagogue that I used to go to um, was the first one to have a female rabbi in South America wow so and there are lots of really strong female figures. Actually, my bat mitzvah, I put the tefillin and wow. the kippa and the talit. And wow. I read from the Torah. Like, I did everything a boy would do. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, what was the name of your rabbi? Uh, his name is Adrian. He's from Uruguay. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you're you're growing up in this uh, uh, synagogue in Sao Paulo. Um and now you're in Berlin, Germany. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did you? At what point did you leave Sao Paulo? Like, yeah, I left when I was eighteen. Okay. Uh, yeah, eighteen, nineteen. I went to the U.S. Mm-hmm. I, I studied there. Where? Um, well, first I went to Connecticut uh, to do like um, the the story goes as follows. <laughs> I always wanted to leave Brazil. Actually, I never wanted to stay. I had this big dream of leaving. I didn't really know where. Actually, originally, I wanted to come to Berlin. Mm. Um, and Why? I was... Well, my family is from Berlin. Oh, wow. My family is from Berlin. But I was always fascinated with uh, the Weimar Republic culture. I was fascinated mm. with cabarets. am fascinated with cabarets. With, um, you know, Marlena Dietrich and 
all of this incredible culture there was at the time. And I, I started learning German because of that and to communicate with my grandmother also who said that she was losing it since her mom passed away, that she was forgetting it because she didn't have anyone to talk to. Wow. Um, and I really thought that I was going to come to Berlin. And then, okay, then plans changed. And, uh, but I, yeah. I so you're in to, Connecticut, some random yeah. place in Connecticut. Exactly. I, I went to Connecticut to do like a three-month-long theater program. I do, I'm, I'm an wow. actor. And I still didn't think that I was going to fully move. Um, but then my mentor uh, at this program um, encouraged me to apply to colleges. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm already here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's nothing to lose. And yeah, then I kind of Googled like experimental theater schools. I found CalArts, which is the school I went to. Cool. So you go there and you're there four years? Um, yeah, I was there for actually three years, like three full years. And then during the summer of my, well, I guess the end of my third year, I went to Massachusetts and I was working with this theater company called Double Edge Theater. Wow. And they're also kind of, well, the artistic director of the company is Jewish and, and a lot of Jewish mysticism is a big part of their work. Ah, cool. And um, I love them. I fell in love with them and I guess they fell in love with me too. And um, I was invited and also wanted to stay. And so basically I went back to school for a half semester. I didn't really have so many credits left and made a deal with them that I would graduate early and then become an apprentice of the company. Wow. Where is the company base? Um, it's in Ashfield. Okay. Uh, that's close to Northampton. Yeah. yeah. Ashfield, I actually know. I'm an ah, East Coaster. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, cool. So yeah. you're in Ashfield and you're doing experimental theater with a Jewish mystical bent. <laughs> and by the way, for those of you who don't know, like Central West Massachusetts has like a deep sort of both Yiddish and Jewish exactly. mystic uh, culture yeah. that's pervading the whole area. Yeah. So um, was this the first time that you felt sort of your um, artistic and expressive self sort of coming into contact with your Jewish self? Good question. Um, I think it was definitely meaningful to see and be part of this work, especially because, so um, Stacy Klein is the director of the company and she's Jewish from a Ukrainian background. And Carlos Uriona, who is, uh, the, I guess, one of the lead actors of the company um, and her partner um, is from Argentina. And so there was this mix of two parts of my culture, right? Like oh, South wow. American and Jewish, which was super, super meaningful to me. And... Yeah, I think I think this was the first time that I realized that my stories were worth telling because I was in an acting wow. program, which um, was yeah, it was kind of experimental, but at the same time it was like in LA and it was really um, I don't know, I wouldn't say traditional, but you know, we were doing the we were doing Shakespeare, we were doing Ibsen, and yeah. I was slowly finding a way to put my writing into it and to put my own shows, but I was often, like, in the L.A. context, also being told, you know, like, oh, you're too much this or you're not too, you're not enough that, and, like, never really finding mm. my niche, 
Uh, people didn't really know where to put me. They didn't know how to cast me. And yeah, like working with them, I, I really felt, oh, wow, I can tell my stories and there there is power in um, sharing this. Um, wow. And it really inspired me. And so then I went, like I said, I, I kind of graduated early. I couldn't officially graduate early on paper because I was still on a student visa. And uh, I went back and my deal was that I would make, like my thesis would be a solo show. And so I, okay, this is a good part. It also relates to Judaism. Um, I, this was 2017. So it was the first year that Trump had gotten elected. And, good time. Uh, yeah, great timing. Great timing to graduate as a foreigner. Uh, and yeah, and but I don't think Brazil was on the list, so maybe you were <laughs> saying. But it was really difficult, um, and and immigration laws changed really yeah. fast. And I think this is the the thing that triggered my um, my thinking of also like my entire adult life I spent in this country, and do I really want to be here? Do I really want to put in the effort? And, and the money, which is a lot, and to stay in a place that I don't know if I even feel welcomed. And I started um, talking to my grandmother and just questioning this connection that I had to the U.S. And my grandmother said, oh, but did you know that my grandmother was American? And I was like, wait, what? No way. And so I started researching this great, great yeah, yeah great, 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 And I found out that she actually wasn't American, that she was German, and she had gone to the U.S. when she was around 19 and left when she was around 23, 24, which wow. was my exact, you know, age gap. Yeah. Wow. And I found her Ellis Island manifestos and all of this, and it was like, it was insane. I mean, people cannot see me, but uh, the description was really like, short curly hair like 150 curly hair um dark eyes dark hair and it was exactly like me wow. basically and i started writing this solo show um thinking of what it would have been like for her to make this journey in 1904 versus me in 2012 2013 yeah um and then from from within that i also started put, putting together a family tree and all of that and other stories of my of her daughter, so my great grandmother, who was born in Berlin and had to leave due mm-hmm. to the Holocaust, and then my grandmother, who was born in the middle of the war. All of these things started coming out, and um, yeah, and then this uh, big question of what what is home, what does home mean, where where is home, wow. is there home? Um, this is this is the topic of the first solo show that I created, which is called Ithaca, and that was also my my thesis uh, to graduate from CalArts, and I developed that while I was at the theater in Massachusetts. It's such a powerful idea. It also, um, while certainly not exclusively so, it does strike me as a very Jewish idea, because, um, um, and I wonder if this resonates with you at all, but you're talking about this family tree, and it's like your home is more in the tree than in any specific place. Yeah, yeah. Did you read this uh, book from Hodorowsky called... uh... Where the bird sings best. No. Yeah, he wrote. Uh, well, he's also Jewish, right? And he wrote. Do you know what I'm talking about, Alejandro Hodorowsky? I don't know. He is a Chilean filmmaker, kind of 
insane, also kind of tarot guru person. Okay, cool. He's really old now, uh, but he made like these super insane movies. Like John Lennon's favorite film was one of Hodorowsky's films. Okay, cool. And he works with this kind of magical realism. And he wrote a book called Where the Bird Sings Best. And it's about the history of his family. Um leaving the Ukraine, his Jewish family leaving Ukraine, and also from Spain, like, during the Inquisition. Oh, but wow. completely magical realism. Like, there's, like, a flea circus, like, all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the beginning, it says, um, the bird sings best in its family tree. And I think that's really... Wow. It really resonates with me, yeah. Yeah, it's very powerful. I, I feel it also because, um, I, I, you know, someone said something to me once... Um, recently, which really struck me, which is uh, like, have three generations of my family ever lived in the same place mm. and remained yeah. in the same place? And they haven't, like, not as far as I know, yeah. as far back as I can go. Um, we've been mobile, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. means, um, what am I tied to? Yeah, yeah. What do you feel tied to? Um, I don't at all to anything, wow. to be honest. Um, I have come to realize that the stage is my home. Whoa, yeah. Shkaya. Okay, <laughs> now we're getting to it. Now it's getting good. Um, and, and it's interesting because also, so um, my mom is a ballerina and mm. my grandmother is so hard mom. So my Jewish family is my dad's side of the family. And then my mom's side of the family also have a, a great connection too. And my grandmother is a pianist. And so... Wow. I mean, I've been on stage since before I could walk properly, dancing or, or playing music. And then I started doing theater when I was like eight or nine or something. Um, and it's, I'm a super anxious person, I guess, like quite Jewish. Of me. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm a super anxious person. Um, and often I feel not so much like, fully present. I'm always yeah. thinking about the future or thinking about the past. And when I'm on stage, it's like my mind is blank. I'm like there. And so I definitely feel more at home on stage. And this is also a constant in my life that I've always found. Whether it be in like a big stage or in like a small karaoke in Poland, you know. Um, Yeah, I think I'm really tied to, to this. But other than that, I feel... I don't feel so tied to anything in particular. Mm. I think I've learned to to let go. I'm really, I, I mean, I'm really, um, um, I don't know, fond of, of course, my family and my friends. and But I, in some way, I also left them, you know, in Brazil. Do you identify as Brazilian? Yeah, 100%. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because I also have found to... Like what? What is? What does it mean to be Brazilian? I think is also another question, <laughs> as well as what does it mean to be Jewish. But I think that, um, well, there was. Can I get into another little? Let's thing? do it. You can get into anything okay, you want. Great. It's your podcast, you know. Um, in in the nineteen twenties, there was um, an artistic movement in Brazil that was the modernism movement, and the artists were questioning what does it mean to be Brazilian because, you know, we came from uh, indigenous people, then colonization and slavery, and then blah, blah, blah. But also, especially in the 20s, 
the influence from the U.S., which is an imperialistic and colonial influence, was huge. It's starting to become huge. It, it got even bigger through the war and, and especially after. And also, um, I mean, just to because you mentioned it before, the sort of evangelical um, yeah. renaissance in Brazil is heavily influenced by the American evangelical movement. Also, I, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so they were questioning, what is that? Hmm. And there's actually like a really cool... Um, Okay, it's not a slogan. I don't even know what to call it, but it's like a, a phrase. Okay, it's a quote from uh, this manifesto that is um, one of the biggest indigenous tribes in Brazil is the Tupi Guarani, uh, or the Tupi and the Guarani are, are also uh, two tribes. And um, and uh, the the quote is Tupi or not Tupi. <laughs> yeah, that is a question. And uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then it's like also this cannibal manifesto was created, and I think it's one of the most important pieces of art from this movement. And it was uh, this author, Osval Jandraji, he was writing about how there's this uh, indigenous tribe, the Tupinambas, who um, used to have um, cannibalism as part of their um, culture, that they would capture the strongest enemy of another tribe, and then uh. they would eat them. Um, I don't know if that is true, but this is what's in the manifesto, okay? <laughs> and um, and then they would gain their strengths. So this author makes this parallel with Brazilian culture, and, and he says that we eat other cultures and then embody their strengths, which I think is really different mm. from American culture, that it's like a little bit of a soup with like different vegetables and yeah. makes everything a bit separate um and so then to answer your question yeah I, I really identify as brazilian because i think the brazilian identity can hold space for multiplicity wow yeah wow that's really powerful it's also a really interesting identity to hold in a place like germany um right. where i feel yeah. like multiplicity is not of identity is not necessarily a value. No. Um, yeah. So, how? Uh, when did you come to Germany, and how have you found it being an artist, uh, mm -hmm. an actor here in Germany? Um, I arrived in 2018, uh, so not so long ago, and I have. Um, you probably also want to know why I came. <laughs> Everyone wants to know this. Um, I. I don't know exactly why, but there are a few reasons. Um, I, like I said, I eventually decided to leave the U.S., so my show kind of became a goodbye letter, um, and I didn't know where to go. At mm -hmm. that point, I was also, I had lived in New York briefly, and I was totally broke, and <laughs> both... Only took two weeks in New York to exactly. <laughs> uh, both financially and spiritually. And yeah, New York will do that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I went from Asheville, which is a town of twelve hundred people, no phone service, like strong community, to New York City, mm -hmm. which is like. Mm -hmm. um, and I was also eventually living with my partner um, in a car, and we were, you know, traveling around the U.S. And, uh, but yeah, I decided to leave, and I didn't know where to go. I had absolutely no idea um and so i found an ad no it, i don't know if it was an ad or it was a post or something 
on Facebook for this hostel in the Czech Republic that was like, ah, we're always like looking for new people to work or something like that. I don't remember what it was. And I, it was a town that I had visited before in the South Czech Republic called Česky Prumlov. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. I can live in the hostel and I don't have to pay rent. And then I can also like earn some money on the side and get back on my feet. And, but before then I had to move my stuff out of the U.S. and I didn't know where to go. <laughs> I knew it was going to be Europe somewhere because also I had gotten my, my Polish passport and I was not down to go through another immigration process again yeah. at all. So I thought, hmm, Berlin seems pretty central and I know like a handful of people in Berlin. So I think I will go to Berlin, get a storage unit, throw my shit in there. Oh, sorry, can I say Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> Throw my shit Beep. in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then, um, and then, um, and then I'll figure it out. You know, like then I'll, I don't know, do something. And that's exactly what I did. I went back to Brazil because my dad was getting married. And then I came back and, and went to the Czech Republic. Wow. And meanwhile, I was also every, I don't know, month or so coming back to Berlin to get my stuff from the storage unit. <laughs> like I, I would bring one bag, take one bag, you know. Yeah. And, and then I started exploring the idea of maybe coming to Berlin. And I, for me, it was really important to be in a place really close to nature. Um, I realized how important that was for me because, yeah, I, I just need that. Um, and a place that I felt safe walking alone at night, which is not something that I have in Brazil. Hmm. Um, a place that I could support myself without being overworked, like it was in New York. <laughs> I was working for jobs and still... You know, still had no money. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, New York can do that. Yeah, yeah, and um, and most of all, also a place that had a lively queer scene because mm. um, I never had that, and mm. and as a queer person, as a trans person, I never found community, and and I I was really yearning for that. Wow. Um, and of course, culture uh, it was important, but and and then to get into your other question, I think. Um, as an artist in Berlin, I have found Berlin to be incredible, to be honest. Mm. Um, much, much easier. I mean, I think coming from the U.S., anything seems a bit easier in the culture department. Uh, but I even take, you know, Corona, like I've been supported immensely through this time and not only through the Corona funds, but there's just so much money invested in culture that it's like there's if you if you find the right people if you find the right yeah. projects it's um you can actually make a living as an artist here which i don't know anywhere else in the world that you can do that being yeah. a foreigner you know wow wow i think it's really it's it's really powerful and you're you're pushing sort of um you're pushing me a little bit which is great because uh, I I will say I've been like a little down on 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 Deutschland the last couple yeah. of months, yeah. uh, which can happen. And, and you're pointing out something which is really important, which is um, this um, this country did support people in the worst points of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I think that is an important point to remember. Incredibly important. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So tell me a little bit about Laba. Like, what have you? <laughs> how have you found it? What are you working on? 
what's your, your exhibit's going to be premiering next month, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's my show. Your right show. There. Amazing. So, um, Lab, how I found, I found it through Facebook, like I find most, most things. Um, yeah. Which I hate. I just want to delete my Facebook. I want to get rid of it. Yeah. But somehow. Still useful. Yeah. 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 It's terrible. I hate it. Yeah. It's awful. Uh, but. I yeah. wish I had, I wish I had something better to tell you. I feel the same way. I know. Like, yeah. Come on. But, um, and at first I was really unsure if I would apply or not because I thought oh like I am such a non-traditional Jew mm-hmm. and I don't know like the people who run this because to be honest um, I haven't had like bad experiences with Jewish organizations but I always found that at a certain point there was always a part of my identity that was kind of clashing Mm. with the culture somehow like and especially the queer identity and i found a lot of times that there was no space for that and so but um and i was like ah but then like also to just to study like you know jewish texts for so long and so i wasn't sure but i i love the the theme which was chosen and it really related to this project that i'm doing that i was already doing at that point and I talked to my flatmate who is not Jewish at all. She's like, actually, you know, German and, and like raised in church. And, and she was like, and she was the one that encouraged me. And she said, you know, I think that, um, I think she said something like, I, I had this experience of looking at biblical texts, um, but through an artistic lens. And it was really interesting and, and I think it could be it could be fun and it could be interesting and really inform your art. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna apply. But I didn't really think about it. Um, yeah. And then I looked at and then after I applied, good thing that it was after I applied. I looked at the <laughs> Laba New York like the bios of the the yeah. photos, and all of them were like amazing and way ahead in their careers and. I thought, oh my god, I will never get in, but okay. Here you are. Yeah. yeah. Here I am. Here <laughs> Spoiler I am. alert, you got in. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, how? Uh, tell us a little bit about your show that's going to yeah. be happening. So my show is called 27 Club, um, and I created the concept for it in 2019. Yes, in 2019. Um I was really going through a really hard time. Um, I felt really um, cynical about the world, about my art, about... Mm. um, I guess I was just going through this transition period of being, like, young and idealistic and thinking that I can change the world like this to realizing that that's actually not true and also seeing that the world is going through well it's maybe getting worse before it gets better but i think maybe they're also both happening at the same time in some Mm. way um and i didn't feel like creating anymore at all i i didn't know i didn't feel the urge to put anything out there um i mean i felt the urge but I, i i didn't i couldn't there was nothing that i thought that i had left to say that was relevant yeah and then I thought, well, you know, 
then I should just, well, okay, this sounds weird, but I was, ah, then I should just kill myself. But then I thought, hmm, this idea is actually interesting. Like, I should do my funeral. Hmm. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> what would this be? Like, my funeral. And also because when I was younger, I really had this huge dream of being someone by a certain age. Yeah. And realizing slowly that okay like then i'm 20 then i'm 23 then i'm 25 and realizing that becoming someone is probably not gonna happen and how do i let go of this fantasy um and so so yeah then i started questioning also this idea of like uh, you know, the 27 Club, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, um, Amy Winehouse. Like, what do they have that I don't? <laughs> why are they so different? Why, why could they make it? And why were they at the height of their careers at 25 and already dead at 27? Um, and so this is where the idea came from. My funeral at 27 years old. I am 27 now. Wow. Um, and it's a rock concert. So I sing <laughs> the songs from um, from the 27 Club, from all of these wow. singers and, and musicians. And I tell stories about my life and I say goodbye to this this part of my life. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you see, it's very, it's a fascinating idea. I'm looking forward to seeing it. But I think it's also... Um, it's very um it's very powerful in just thinking about um sort of saying goodbye to like your childhood conception of who your adult self is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really hard because I think we're as kids we believe we can do anything. Yeah. And I think that is I still don't know how to do that. Like it's still uh. inside of me there's a part that wants to believe you know, tomorrow <laughs> something will happen. Um, but it's, I think this is one part that I definitely deal with in the show, but this is the starting point that also opened other Pandora's boxes of um, traumas or of things that I thought defined me as a person, as an artist, that I don't want them to define me anymore. And so it is a metaphorical death, but it is a violent death, I think. It is a violent wow. show. Um, it's not light, but it is satirical. Also. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, it reminds me, there's um, there's a piece of Torah from Rabbi Simcha Bonham of Shemeshul. It was a Hasidic rabbi in the 19th century. And he said that at every moment, a person should walk around with two notes in their pocket. Mm-hmm. And on one note, it should say, the world was created for my sake. And on the other note, it should say, I am but the dust of the earth. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's something that you're holding in there that is really real and really Jewish, which is like, I have to believe in my uniqueness. I have to believe that I can do anything. And I have to accept my nothingness. Yeah. And I think that's the question of chosenness that really attracted me from Lava of this... um, and pal, you know, pal, yeah, 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 of course. And at the end, we Hagaon. <laughs> we're waiting for you on the podcast if you're listening. Uh, he's busy, he's yeah, busy. He's busy. he doesn't have time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, um, the last the last meeting that we had, um, we had a, a really nice discussion, which was and it really gave me a lot of food for thought. Which is this um, being chosen is actually also taking away your um, well, of course, your responsibility, but also it puts you in a passive place. Oh wow! It takes away agency. Yeah, it takes yeah. away agency, wow. and I think that this is really true to be honest um and choosing the act of choosing is actually super radical wow and to say i chose and i take responsibility for what i choose and that actually everything that happened to me is also my responsibility is super powerful and really really radical i think wow because i I hear a lot of a lot of people saying um oh you know like i'm like this because of that and of course there are structural powers that don't allow us or like certain certain groups and certain marginalized groups which some of which i'm also a part of um that don't they don't allow us to move forward or to achieve as much as other people but also there is a certain you know gap of things that you are responsible for and that you choose within that yeah i guess i guess again it's both it's like (laughs) Yes, there are things that you don't control, and, and yes, there are things that you control. Yeah, holding both at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Paula, I believe you have a piece of Torah to share with <laughs> us as well. Yes, yeah, so um, so I brought two things, and um, they're both... Which one should I, should I share? Um, they're, they're not necessarily Torah in the... In the historical... It, it's all Torah. It's all Torah. <laughs> I promise you it, it's all Torah. Um, they are both related to my first solo show, Ithaca. Huh. Um, I think maybe I will give the second one, then, cool. which is a little more out there. But I love it so much. Um, and it's um, it's a song um, that was composed by Friedrich Schollander, um, amazing German uh, musician from the Weimar Republic since I talked about it and it the context of which it was created for was for his cabaret show called okay I don't remember what it's called but the story was there was a little ghost called Hitler who would like knock on doors and try to scare people but no one was scared so it's a kind of you know operator thing and this song is called an Alimzin Dien Schuld <laughs> And Can you translate that for yes. our listeners? <laughs> the Jews are to blame for everything. <laughs> um, and it is a song that I think it's just what I aspire to do with art in general. And I think that's why it also relates to my second show, The 27 Club, because it is so brilliant and so like, well, maybe we, we can listen to it a little bit, but... Uh, it uses the um, melody of Carmen, the habanera. Exactly. Cool. And in the beginning, it's uh, the lyrics are saying, you know, if it's raining, if it's hailing, if it's light or if it's wet, and like all these weather things. And then it goes to the chorus and it's like, <laughs> it's all the fault of all those Jews. <laughs> and... I love it because it just hits you so hard. Uh, and he wrote this in 1934, which is, whoa. 
And I performed this as part of my first solo show. And of course, I performed that only in the US. So people were laughing. Yeah. And then I performed it in Berlin. And this was because I also play the accordion. So I played the accordion. Wow. And this was, um, it was a thing. They didn't didn't laugh, did they? Oh my God. No. So I did it it three times. The first (sighs) time, it was a room, I think, of only Germans. And it was like, you could hear a pin drop. Wow. Really. The second time, it was mostly Germans or like Europeans in general, but like not Jewish. And one Jewish person, my shout out to my friend, Buba Sababa, who's an incredible drag performer. I'm also a drag performer. Um, And uh, they're sitting in the first row. And I start and like everyone is quiet and I just hear Buba like... Um, and yeah, and then, and then I did it as part of this, uh, my, my drag collective is called Venus Boys. And we did a, a show that was an homage to the 1920s Berlin scene. And I did it as part of that show. Also. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I love that on so many levels. First off, it's a hilarious, um, song mm-hmm. and it's a hilarious premise for the song. Mm-hmm. And I, as soon as you said that you performed it in Germany, of course I knew they wouldn't laugh because um, it's too, it's like too real for them, you know? It like, yeah. like for us, it's a ridiculous idea. So it's yeah. comical. So actually the ability not to laugh is yeah. perhaps um, um, more disturbing. But what, like, I love that you, um, that you got on stage and even you performed it in drag, I guess, one yes. time, which was even yes. more pushing the limits of like what, um, we're supposed to accept as reality. Exactly. Um, yeah. What like talk to me a little bit about the power of sort of creating your own. You mentioned before that like the stage is your home. Like, yeah. Are you just creating a whole reality on stage? Um, I hope so. Wow. <laughs> um, I think that this is also changing a bit for me, but um, I started doing theater. Really, I mean, theater in Brazil. I will say, and in the U.S. and in Germany, are very different contexts. In Brazil, theater still has a really big political weight mm. in general. Of course, you know, we have things that are not. But, um, like, some of the oldest theater companies in Brazil started during the military dictatorship. And they still hold this weight of, you know, talking about these things. Um, and questioning the government, and and they're still censored, and they're still, yeah. And so, for me, I always related theater to this political context. And then moving to the U.S. was was interesting because it was not like that. (laughs) Sometimes, yes, but still in the context of a commercial industry somehow. Um, And then in Germany, I guess... I see a lot of political theater, but I would I question a lot what it is that they want to say because okay I don't know maybe this is gonna be a bit controversial but uh, let's do it let's dive <laughs> in I I see a lot of fetishization of the Holocaust I see a yeah. lot of fetishization of the experience of being a foreigner especially also nowadays of being, you know, a refugee from Syria, for, for example. I'm not talking about 
Jewish people or Syrian people or, or immigrants. No, no, no. This. But this sort of German mentality is a niche yeah. Deutsche. You know, I'm it's talking like... about the white Europeans who are directing or creating these things and then almost like re-traumatizing yeah. their actors or their creators to offer something to a white German audience who will look at it and be like, oh, your life is so sad. And then like go out for a drink and forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, in this, th- within this frustrating experience, I started looking for other ways that I could get what I wanted, which is connection, hum- real, actual human connection. And this is how I found drag. And and drag for me is where it really I create worlds. And it's super, super, super brilliant. To me, it's really the most radical and political performance movement of our time. Wow. Because you have people who have historically been denied space and have historically been excluded from even these big theaters or, or these institutions or jobs or life in general who are coming to these small stages in these queer bars tucked into Nikon, tucked into Prince Auerberg and uh, and talking in Berlin but yeah, there's yeah. drag all over the world um, and who are going on stage and wearing whatever they want to wear and using what, whichever name they want to use and and selling the reality they want and then people are like applauding or they're crying or they're laughing or I mean even like it's an immediate feedback let's just say this way <laughs> and and this uh, relationship between audience and performer is really porous which I think is super special also wow because one day I can be watching the next day I can be performing wow and this is really really important um but yeah, I've been questioning a lot. And so now I'm also um, kind of, um, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to stop doing theater. I, I don't think I ever will. But I have thought a lot about this relationship to accessibility also. Mm. Because, okay, like in, in the US, you can question also, it is a, a question of financial accessibility, yeah. right? Like go to go to the theater is super expensive. Here it's not so much, but still there is um, these institutions. They they are hostile mm-hmm. to people who don't belong to the institution or to the niche, right? And even if people can afford it, a lot of people don't go because they don't feel like that's their place wow. and they don't yeah. belong there. So um, during the pandemic, especially, <laughs> I was really like, oh my god. I cannot do theater anymore. I need I need this art to be accessible. I don't believe in excluding people, and I don't want to preach to the choir or even I don't want to, yeah, act for people who, you know, they're not people that I want to talk to. Wow. And so I'm kind of making a shift into TV. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing because you. Again, I keep coming back to the line that your your home is the stage, mm-hmm. which just really strikes me. Yeah. Um, and will almost certainly be what I'll title this episode of the podcast. But, <laughs> um, but I, I love that because like by moving into TV or videos or yeah. whatever, you're sort of um, inviting the world into your home. Also, yeah. And it's a very different relationship, of course, because you don't have the audience and it's 
you know, it's not as reciprocal. No, and 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 a show for me, it's only complete when you have the audience, of course. Yeah. Like it's not the same to do it alone. Yeah. And if it is, maybe you should question why you're doing theater. <laughs> but um, and a TV show is, of course, not like that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, my my family hasn't seen anything I've done for years since I left Brazil, basically, and wow. and. At the same time, we call every week and we talk about the latest TV shows we watch on Netflix or something. So, um, I miss having this accessibility. I miss talking to a wider audience also. Yeah. yeah. It's also very Jewish. How can yeah. I share my home with as many people as possible? <laughs> yes, also. Also. Wow. Amazing. Paula, thank you for joining us today. This was thank really you. lovely and powerful and uh, provoking in all the right ways. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave us with before you go? Um, wow. Well, maybe I would say this, that I am making this slow shift into TV. And if anyone who's listening is interested in collaborating or knows uh, anything about this universe and is interested in a dystopic Western feminist queer cowboy show or uh, <laughs> give me a... Give or me anything a in that realm, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah, but uh, I would love to meet more people in this universe. So um, Amazing. Well, hopefully, Jewish, yeah. yeah, hopefully they're listening. <laughs> uh, and uh, soon uh, we'll be creating a home in a Western dystopian queer uh, feminist landscape. Hopefully uh, not dystopian. Hopefully not dystopian. Sorry, I don't know why hopefully I threw dystopian. <laughs> <laughs> I threw in dystopian. I got some stuff to work on, but I have therapy later today, so it should all be fine. <laughs> and um, come to my show, December 3 and 5. Yes. Uh, Doors at 7.30, shows at 8. It's free uh, at Framed in Friedrichshain. I don't know the exact street, but um, it's part of the LABA program. So And we'll link to LABA in the description of the podcast. Great. And yes, I think that's it. Thank you so much for having me. This was really nice. It, well, it was our pleasure, Paula. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.